Welcome to the Be Transformed podcast, where we're having ongoing digital discipleship conversations about when and where the kingdom and the culture collide. Adam Lavecki here. I'm excited. We got a special guest that we go back with a long time. Pre wives, um, I'm thinking 2006, seven ish. You're in Panera Bread, Pastor Woodley, and what are you doing? I was getting ready for a Sunday morning, and I was reading a, I think it was a Bill Johnson book, and I had my Bible, and you asked me about the book that I was reading. That's right. And at that time, I think I was getting ready to preach in Pastor George Dodd's church. Yes. Which was right across the street from where Charles Finney had a historic revival with the fear of the Lord hit the factory. So I was all excited. And, um, and so I saw Pastor Woodley, I saw what he was doing, so we, we engaged in a conversation, and I think we've been friends ever since. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. so that's, that's awesome. So you're talking like at least 15 years of history and friendship, and it, it was really a great joy to see you get married, and I got married, and now we have kids, and we're happy. And um, yeah, so I'm excited to have you uh, on our podcast today. So DK and I came up uh, to minister in redeeming love, and we had some tribulation on the way. <laughs> <laughs> we had to stop in three Starbucks before we could get some coffee. <laughs> so for us culturally, that was that was a little bit of an anomaly. <laughs> we felt like we were on a mission trip. Like, what's uh, what's going on here? Closed midday Saturday. Yeah. In addition to that, we had to pump our own gas. We're like, whoa. So we just got back from Haiti and it felt like we're in another world again. Yes. We're back. (laughs) We're back on a mission. So, but it's awesome to experience the different um, cultures. And one of the things that we're aware of is that most of America is more like Stittville, New York (laughs) than West New York, New Jersey. Um, in, in, in the sense of the context, so we're the third most densely populated city in the United States of America, wow. where, where, we, where the church is and where they live. So that means that Manhattan is eight. So Guttenberg is one, Union City is two, West New York is number three. I didn't know that. In terms of the most wow. densely populated people per square foot. Wow. Manhattan is eight. Mm. So that's a type of, we have 50,000 documented people mm-hmm. in one square mile. So mm-hmm. I'll just say documented to think that there's probably upwards of 70,000 people yeah, conservative. in one square mile. And you have apartments that are three, $4,000. You can't even get in the building. And then you have 10, 15, 12 people living in a one or two bedroom basement apartment. So, so the mm-hmm. spread is, is, is pretty aggressive. Yeah. Um, so it's a very interesting place because there's so much in such a little place. But as we, we were driving up here, I'm like, most of America is like this in terms of rural. Um, those are real Americans. <laughs> <laughs> so we were, we were um, predicting the average gun guns per home, right? <laughs> yes, guns per home. Like that one has at least six guns. You see a pickup truck, add two more guns. <laughs> it's like, the ratio is yeah, high. Yeah. So, but it's awesome, man, to to connect with you and uh, to have you share with us today. So, I my, my question to you is like, 
during the pandemic, pandemic, however you culturally perceive everything that happened, what were some things that you you learned and what were some takeaways from that season? I think one of the biggest things for me was the gift of unified leadership in the response to that. And when we had a very long meeting with our eldership team at the start of things, when they were trying to, you know, talking about shutting things down and all of the requirements with that. And um, we were able to speak freely, which is important because you can't be, you can't be unified unless you can speak freely. And, but we're also able to come to a consensus on a few things. Um, Number one, we were going to let people choose their own response to situations and and not force that on other people. And so you, so you believe in freedom? <laughs> we do. <laughs> yeah. Dangerous. And uh, and number two is that we weren't gonna. Um, one of my elders, I think, was very helpful in establishing this in my own thinking is. We're not going to blame other people for someone else getting sick. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was one of the most pernicious aspects of what happened in in the pandemic was this whole idea of trying to trace down, you know, who who it was and, and think through all of those things. And I think if you if you honestly look back on this, what you realize is uh we nobody really had a clue where things were coming from and when it happened and so to give that kind of attention and focus to it is just really counterproductive in that way so i was very thankful that we um, were able to get agreement on that early on and as a result of that because our our key leadership had um the same viewpoint about those things that helped us navigate through all of the stuff that came along with it. Yeah, I I think that that's um, beautiful because, I think that that's really beautiful because, um, how do I frame this? It's not even accurate. it's, It's not accurate to say, you got me sick. What's really accurate is my immune system was unable to fight what came before it. Right. So even even framing it in that way is really, um, I don't think it's honest. Mm. Yeah. You know, and it's it's not like it's not like someone you know comes and pours poison in your cup. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's it's really interesting in terms of how mm. how people perceive and how it even how it's framed. I would I would say this. I'm I'm very thankful that that was our dynamic and that's how we approached it. I'm not sure that it's necessarily the best that we all agreed on everything being fully honest. I'm happy that that was the case and <laughs> if I have to choose, I would rather be a part of that dynamic. But I don't think it's right to judge another 
community that made a different choice in how they responded to it. And particularly recently, listening to some of the testimonies from Asbury, Hmm. where the students were talking about how divisive that issue was in their community and how this outpouring of the Spirit of God has overwhelmed that division that had been there before and healed all of those things that all of the sort of the pain that they had from that. And so in, in saying that, I, you know, it's not a formula. You have to be who you are and you have to walk and live authentically with kind of the call and the place and the community that God's brought you to. So if I have to pick, I'm going to pick the, the community that I'm in, but I, I'm just cautious of like extrapolating that to every, yeah every place. You know, I, I have a lot of respect for people who are willing to walk through the, the pain and the challenge of the disagreement through those, yeah. through those times. Yeah. That's definitely really challenging in terms of, so you have like half the elders, let's say that were all for like, okay, let's go, let's do church. And then the other half, they're not into it. That's really, really problematic. And also too, there's a whole bunch of false narratives that are being purveyed from the culture into the church. Right. Like you hate me if you're not going to wear a mask or uh, like if you if you actually loved me, you'd get vaccinated, which is really bizarre. It's like saying if you cared about me not getting skin cancer, you'd put on suntan spray. I'm not sure how me putting on suntan spray is going to save you from getting cancer. Right. But but this these are the these are the the ideas that were floating around and they become popular and prevalent. And then they get taken the church instead of people actually saying, actually, that's not accurate. Um then the church actually begins to take on the same spirit of offense like the world, which is really difficult because we're supposed to have something for the world that's different and we're just like the world. And then you have all these people that are living in fear. And that's really difficult too because like historically speaking, when the Black Plague hit England, the church was actually at the forefront of caring for the sick, healing the sick, and having their doors open as a place of refuge. So when when that whole thing of essential workers versus non-essential workers, that was language that was used to pit people against one another, and that, that kind of went into the whole narrative of, of division, and then all the, the swirl of the election. There were so many different things that people were clearly... Uh, divided on and people are like oh this was a this was a time where division came in no it didn't come in it just was manifested because people had these feelings from before people had these ideas from before and uh, there was like almost like a perfect storm but I think that it's really important to really understand and think about it in retrospect historically speaking the church has never been shut down Right. Never. So if you tell that to Jesus or Paul the Apostle, they'll laugh at you. They'll say, respectfully, you're, this is crazy. So, and then, you know, people feeling that sense of guilt as if, like, I'm a bad person because I want to come to church or I want to worship. And then you, when you start looking at the, 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 the reality and the statistics of the increase of drug uh, overdoses, the increase of domestic violence, the increase of suicide, the increase of all these things that are a result of disconnecting from people 
And so you're like, what, 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 what's worse? And you realize like the medicine is worse than the problem. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I don't know if like if you watch any television programs, but I, I watch a bunch of uh, TV stuff on the Paramount app. And in between like, let's say SEAL Team 6, there's like four drug commercials. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> you're going to go from being depressed to being <laughs> suicidal. Like, why don't you take these pills? Yeah. It's like, I'm not against medicine, but like, man, like, so you're telling me that I'm going to go from depressed to suicidal and that's the, that's the effect of an antidepressant. I'm not sure I want that. Maybe I need to go for a run. Um, yeah. I'm not minimizing the need for medicine, but I'm, I'm just saying that when the solution is worse than the problem, we have a big problem. So, so you, by God's grace, were able to navigate that storm because you had like-minded people, which made it easier to actually be the church instead of the church fighting among itself in a time where the church actually should be healing the sick, caring for the community, actually doing something for the world that is without God and alienated from the life of God in real need of hope. Because I'll just say this way, you look at these situations outside of being in Christ, you got a major, major hopeless dilemma. Um, And so I I just think that Mm. that was God's grace on you. Our story was similar and different. Um, For us, the pandemic actually, pandemic, pandemic, however you wanna frame that, it, it was actually wound up being a blessing to us. We had some people leave, which was not a big deal. And, um, and God sent people just at the right time. And to me, I think, you know, I'll, since it's our podcast, I'll take the liberty of being a little bit more uh, aggressive. Um, but I think that really, if you can't lead in a crisis, you are disqualifying yourself from leading. Like, and I think that there's some people in some churches that didn't make it through the pandemic. And I think that their response or lack of response disqualified themselves from people following them because they didn't lead with conviction. They didn't lead with confidence. And so for me, it's like, why would I want to follow someone who doesn't know where they're going and doesn't have a firm sense of this is what we need to do? And yet give the freedom to people like, hey, if you're not comfortable with that, that's that's cool. Right. Like we, we, we streamed live for like two weeks and I was praying and the Lord said to me, I never told you to shut anything down. And I never shut it down. I just said, I'm going to go stream in the church. If you want to come, you can. Cool. No pressure. I'm going to do it. Because, you know, in the, when it first happened, you know, we're trying to figure out like, what is this? We're trying to respond in humility with grace, but also like figuring out what is it that we're dealing with. And like two weeks into that, the Lord is like, I never told you to stop anything. Mm-hmm. And by God's grace, like we never stopped traveling internationally. Oh. Like we traveled the whole entire time unvaccinated. Like that, that to me was the grace of God. And yeah. the ministry grew, the church grew. It was a blessing financially. Like I... I'm just like that that didn't have the same effect that it did on some people and so I I you know obviously I feel empathy and, and compassion for people it affected in a negative way obviously especially people who lost loved ones and and things like that like I get that like I understand that that's real I'm not minimizing the pain of of loss but I'm saying like as a community it actually really helped us um and I think that uh I'm thankful for that. So what were some other takeaways that you had from that season? Like, what did you learn in that season? Well, I don't, one of the dynamics was the difficulty in discerning what was true. And yes, the amount of energy that that required 
you know, like, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many hours I spent watching YouTube explanations on, uh, virology and <laughs> just all these different doctors and because you're wanting to make a decision in wisdom and you're wanting to discern what is true in the midst of it. And I was sharing with my brother who was home. My brother uh, lives in the UAE and you know, he had made a comment to me at, at the end of the kind of the conversation of sometimes I'm thankful that I live in more of a dictatorship where you actually don't have the liberty to make those decisions. It's just like, this is what you're going to do. And you don't have a choice about that, you know? <laughs> and I think that that's one of the dynamics of, of the season that we're living in where so much trust has been, has been broken from, uh, systems and, and agencies and, and the church has its own, you know, role in that, that, you have to spend all of this energy and time discerning things that I would like to be able to assume that what I'm being told is true and right, but I, you've gone through enough situations where you realize I cannot make that assumption on this. And so it's, it's you know, beholden on me to continue to evaluate those things. And so even though we had that initial agreement and that was how we've operated throughout the whole process I felt a sense of responsibility to continue to evaluate like is the is the evidence continuing to support support this approach and I I think if you if you searched and found honest voices what you would find is that that is the case and there was resources that were actually helpful to people that people were not aware of in that situation. And so, you know, just walking through that personally, when I, when my, I had that conversation with my brother, it was like this realization of like, oh, that's part of the heaviness of this whole thing is we're in a different dynamic and the speed of things is changing and the places that you could trust before. So you have to learn to walk differently in this season. And I think that that's, I think that's one of the training grounds perhaps of it was learning how to discern what is true in the midst of what you're walking through. And yeah. it's not limited to that. There's a lot of applications. Yeah. That's good. My my pastor, David Greco, actually taught me that when a nation no longer trusts its institutions, it's in trouble. And so one of the one, one of the commonalities that I've experienced ministering in a developing world is uh, one of the commonalities almost all the places that we work in is contested elections. So when you have a, a pandemic, a plandemic, whatever you want to, however you want to frame that, that's happening. In the context of that happening, you have legitimately contested elections where reasonable people, I've heard, I've even heard a Democrat who voted for Joe Biden didn't believe he won. <laughs> so, so, you know, you have all this stuff swirling 
at one time. And it's like, we're trying to teach the Bible in the context of stirring faith within the community, yet we're also trying to be the narrators of reality because 80% of the stuff we're being told is actually inaccurate, mm-hmm. which actually is not misinformation, it's disinformation. So we're actually in the middle of a basically psychological warfare. Um, we were in Rwanda. Brett and I were in Rwanda right as this whole thing is about to break out. He actually had the medication that they were giving people before it all broke out because he was taking that with him, the malaria medication. His father told him, take that. So he had that with him. And then as soon as the, the whole pandemic thing broke out, the first thing his dad said is, is to get a nebulizer in case you have anything going on in your chest, immediately pump that out of yourself immediately. And this was a doctor, you know, just trying to warn his son just to think about, okay, what's happening from a, obviously a non-biased, like I love my son, I don't want anything to happen to my son perspective, which is interesting. So there were people that knew from the beginning, like, okay, these are probably things that you can do to help get, to, you know, and then also too, like they, they were never, the government was never saying, okay, go outside, um, exercise, get sunlight, you know, take vitamin D. Like there, it was never anything preventative. It was always like, and then in the midst of all this, you have them printing money, handing out money, and you have the proliferation and the multiplication and the acceleration of uh, the trans movement on children. This is all happening at the same time. And so you have this this pervasive perversion that's being funded basically by the federal government, mm-hmm. and it's really cursing the children. And then the the same the, the kids are going to pay. So when you got those stimulus checks, our children are going to pay for that. So you have you have a whole swirl of things where and and it's like well why would people be divided over things like this? Because these things actually affect people's real life. So it's not like, oh, do you like the Giants or do you like the Jets? Man, we're talking about things that affect people's life, family, future. And one of the things that people sometimes don't get is like when you talk about economy, people people think like you're talking about a, a piece of paper. No, you're talking about food on people's tables. You're talking about a whole bunch of different things that that when you reduce them down to the common denominator, uh, common denominator, you're talking about how humans experience real life. So yes, they're going to be hot button. People are going to get upset and passionate, and it's going to be divisive because it affects people's actual real life. So you have all this happening, and no one taught us how to. Pa- how, I mean, did you ever go to a class how to pastor in a pandemic? <laughs> how to be a cultural narrator? How to be an expert at everything when you don't know half of what's actually happening? Well, I think bringing it back to the gospel is was the anchor for me in the midst of those things because I can sit and I love to have the conversations about all of these yep. different areas. I enjoy it. But and I think this is kind of the gift of of this present move of God, what we're seeing in Asbury and these college campuses is it's it's helping believers believe that the gospel is the thing that actually transforms people. Yep. And I I listen to the Daily Audio Bible and just this week it was talking about uh, one of the scriptures, the guy Brian Harden, who, who reads the Bible there, was offering some thoughts on it. And his comment was, you know, God doesn't change systems 
God changes people's hearts and people with changed hearts change systems. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So that's the challenge in the midst of it is there's an aspect of truth in these discussions and there's concerns about these areas and I may uh, advocate for and you know we have a lot of that um, going on like in our own church you know we have people who are regularly attending school board meetings we have people who are on election um uh whatever committees committees yes my mom's on an election committee Mm -hmm. they're poll watchers they're involved they're actively engaged in those things we have a lady who's leading like a biblical citizenship course in that way wow but it's not the main emphasis of what we're doing as a church like I'm happy that people are engaging in those ways, but it isn't like we're not having a rally as a church at the school board meeting. We have people who live in school districts who have felt a call on their life to go and to observe and to share yep. when appropriate. And, and they have done that, you know, so that's beautiful. That's where I think the anchor comes back to that point of, as the church, our call is to is to the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, that's Paul's Paul's declaration is, you know, it's the gospel that is the thing that changes people yeah. in that way. So that's that was as I'm, you know, thinking about, you know, preaching and you're having these conversations with people because you're you have relationship with people and you understand how they're navigating through those things, but there has to be something greater than that. Otherwise that thing becomes my Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It gets too much of attention. And it's like, we're living in always reaction to the world and everything that's happening instead of response to what is God, what is God telling you to do? Like that was really encouraging to me. God was like, I never told you to stop anything. Mm-hmm. And you know, people asked me like, how did you, how did you do that? And I said, well, all I, I, I just took a COVID test before I left places. I mean, that's, that's what I did. It cost more time, a little extra money, but it, it, it allowed us to keep doing what God called us to do. And God plans to prosper us and bless us in what he's called us to do. So if I feel like I have to go out and do some other thing to get blessed instead of what God is asking me, that's, that's no good. Um, that means that I trust in myself more than I trust in his ability to lead me and to bless me as I choose to be faithful to what he's clearly revealed. And so for us, like we we just saw the blessing of the Lord on what he asked us, what he commanded us to do. And so that was, that was refreshing for us. And so, you know, we didn't really experience a huge amount of division either. I mean, there was people that they were already, um, on their way out, they left and then other people came and, um, and, and there was, but I mean, like, for example, we have an, a guy, an actor, him and his wife came and they came from a church, uh, in the city and before the whole, during the whole George Floyd thing, they were, they were pushing this book called white fragility and they weren't like saying, Hey, like, um, you know, our critics have a, a reasonable critique. Here's something to think about. They were pushing white fragility as if it was discipleship material from the pulpit. Like mm. that's a problem. 
And so, you know, you have these people who are honestly fed up with this type of like um, the world kind of telling the church how it has to respond and behave. And so we we inherited a whole bunch of people that I'm like, man, these people are a real blessing. I, I can't understand why you wouldn't want to have people like this in your church and why you wouldn't deploy people like this to serve the Lord and his purpose. It doesn't make, it didn't make any sense to me. So I realized that, you know, we inherited a blessing just through doing what we think is normal. I mean, you're, we're old school, bro. Like we, we were taught faithfulness. Like, I mean, I don't, yeah. I mean, that's how I was, that's how I was raised. Yeah. Like, like you show up, like, it doesn't matter if you don't feel it. Like you show up, like yeah. my mom died on like Saturday. I preached on Sunday. Like we, we were just taught you cry, you pray, you grieve, but you show up. Yeah. So that, that was kind of how, and to me that's normal. So when you see, you know, people like, oh, like I, I you know, I'm like tapping out for nothing. It's just kind of like, well, that's not normal Christianity. That may be what um, is popular or prevalent, but it's not normal. Um, so you've been a, a father and a, obviously a husband first, uh, praise the Lord. Uh, you know, you've been a husband and a, and a father and a pastor. You've been walking with people for a while. And so I, I, my question to you is in, in the context of, of just a, a pandemic or in the context of uh, pastoring and parenting, uh, how much is pastoring like parenting? Well, you're caring for people and when you care for people and when you believe that God has a plan and a purpose for them, you live in, in that pursuit. So sometimes in addition to pastoring, I'm also a, a school teacher. School teacher. So sometimes what you can see in a school environment is a person has some kind of issue going on in their life and you're, you're seeing that you're understanding the problem with it. And there is a temptation for people then to write that person off. So with parenting, you see an issue, but you don't write your children off. Yeah you believe that God has something more for them. And so you walk with them through that season, that dynamic in that way. And one of the things that I has been very helpful for me from the parenting side of it, informing my, my pastoring and, and how I think about people is the, a lot of this is stuff that my wife has kind of shared with me because she just goes like hardcore into uh, she's she's on a real journey of like, how do I how do I do this right? How do how do I be a mother? How do I do it well? Yeah. And is the aspect of many times it's people lack skills. So what I've learned through that is to not assign a character fault to someone who has a lack of a skill in their life. Excellent. Yeah. It, because it really frames it in an entirely mm. different way. You know, you can say yeah. like, well, you know, they're just, um, stupid. Yeah. Or lazy or something like mm. that, you know, or they're, well, maybe they don't actually know how to fill out a application. 
mm-hmm. you know. So if, if it's the skill of filling out the application that they need for the job, when they have the willingness to do it, it's not, they're not lazy. There's just something in that. And I think you see that in your own kids where sometimes there's, there's obstacles, there's things that are hindering them, and then you're trying to help them overcome those things so that they can grow and move forward. So that one thing in particular has, is really, really helpful. It helps reframe discussions of, is this, is this a skill that they're missing in their life? And mm-hmm. probably nine out of 10 times, it actually is a skill. There are some times where they've got some real character things yeah. that, that need to be rooted out of their life. But That's awesome. You took us to school on that. I, I feel like, man, I, I get a benefit from that. And it's truly true because when it's your kids, you're not like, oh, you're an idiot. Like You're like, you have my last name. You're not going to be an idiot. <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything in my power so that you're not an idiot. Um, and so that's awesome. I have a, a friend. He's with the Lord now, but his name is Pastor Scott Persley. He was a clinical psychologist that gave up a very a successful practice to be a pastor. And he said that pastoring is like herding snails. <laughs> just because people and you know us too like we change at a slow rate and so um do you feel sometimes that pastoring is also kind of like babysitting adults i mean i know that sounds harsh and i mean i'm i'm comfortable saying that a lot of times it is and and here's why i'll say that you don't have to say that um i, I don't mind saying that simply because the older I get, which I'm not that old, the more I find myself repeating the most basic things that in my mind I should not have to tell someone who's over 30 years old, such as eat with your wife, cook for your husband, sleep with your wife, help your wife uh, with dishes, um, have a joint bank account, don't hit your wife. <laughs> you know, like, like just things that you'd go, uh, these are so basic, like even I get them. It's like, you know, like, um, but yet I, I, the older I get, the more I find myself having to repeat some of the most basic and elementary things that you think um, are normal, but are not normal. Like for us, if I'm not out traveling, we eat dinner together almost all the time. That is a cultural value that I was raised in and that got translated into how I'm raising my family. And that is normal, but you'd be surprised like how abnormal that's not really within our culture. Now, I don't know how it is here, but in our culture where we're from in New Jersey, the pace of life and the cost of living is high and fast. So that affects a lot of practical things. So it's like People like, so how many days a week does your wife cook? I don't know. I have to eat seven days a week. You know, like, you know, and it's like people, it's like, so so you're telling me she cooks every day? Yes, I I have a wife. And even if she's not there, like, she'll make sure that there's food. Like, like, this is basic. Like, but for people, they're like, wow, that's like, it almost sounds like to be responsible almost sounds oppressive. (laughs) But it's like, no, like we have three children and they have to eat. So how how do you think they're going to eat? And, and, and so, and I know that I'm not trying to sound like a jerk. I'm saying that the older I get, the more I find myself having, repeating myself of very, very basic things that you'd think are not. Well, there's a lady in my church who, when she was younger, was an alcoholic. And then she got free from that. 
And she shared something with me one time that helped me think about these situations. She said, when a person has an addiction, an addiction in their life stops their maturity. Yes. So, you know, if somebody had an addiction from 15 to 30, they might now be 40, but they like there were 15 years of development that they didn't have in their life. So you're looking at them in an older body, but they haven't. Emotionally, they're 22. Physically, they're 42. Right. So keeping being aware of that helps me in that way. And I'm just personally like cautious of even the language for me. I'm not saying it's wrong for other people, but the language for me of. I don't like thinking of myself as a shepherd and the sheep. I think like Jesus is the shepherd. We're all the sheep. I have a part to play in, in the community that God has called me to, but I, it, it weirds me out a little bit if it becomes too much like people are the problem, you know, and, your children always cost you. I have a friend who was in uh, East Asia for like 30 years and he, he made a comment to me. He said, your children will always cost you whether natural or spiritual and it doesn't stop whatever age they are. And so I think that that, that idea of as you're walking with people Part of me, maybe my caution in saying those things is I'm I'm really limited in the season of life that I'm at right now from certain things that would be pastoral for people. You know, I work full time as a teacher. I have four kids. We're building a house. So my availability yeah. in relationship to other people who are in pastorates is limited. And so we have... We have lots of different people that walk in those roles in that way. So I'm, I guess I'm just really cautious to be like, you know, that's why you're so happy. (laughs) That's why you have such a grin on. (laughs) Well, and one of my elders, he, he's the same guy who the pandemic and not blaming people is always championing, you know, the, the idea that we have in the church of the pastor and the pastor does all of these things is it's not a sustainable model. And it is, we really, that concept of body ministry and, you know, like those things I think are really helpful in being able to, to live it out. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, I even framed it like when snails, we, we as humans are slow to change. And so I think that one of the things that I learned in pastoring is extending the same patience that God extended to me toward people in the sense of like, you knew that there was a problem in your life for a long time before you had the courage to address it. It's like the fat guy that doesn't want to skip on the scale. He just keeps buying jeans. You know, it's like, but eventually you're going to have to get on that scale. And right. so I think that we always want to encourage people toward the scale, but, but also you can't, you can't force people. And so it's, it's love. The, the primary expression of love is patience. Mm. 
the, the first description that Paul says is love is patient. So most often in expressing love, you're actually learning patience. Yeah. And we, we're not stupid. We'll never be like, oh, Jesus, give me more patience. Like, nah, you're like, oh, Lord, make me more loving. And the Lord's like, oh, yeah, I got you. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm going to give you great opportunity to be patient. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, I, and I think that that's important because when people know that you really love them, then you can say things that are difficult to hear because they know it's for their well-being. It's not you trying to get something off your chest or give them a piece of your mind. It's actually for their benefit and it's it's actually empowering even even though it may sting similar to like an antiseptic like yeah okay it's gonna sting but i don't want you cut your leg off right so who who is it for yeah am i dishing out advice for my own ego Hmm. so that i can feel good about how i correctly discern the trouble that you're in or am i saying something that is actually going to benefit and you know move you forward in life in that way and that is a very uh easy line to be deceived by yeah that's accurate that's fair it's a good thought like saying stuff really for the benefit of the hearer not not to just get it off your 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 chest or to feel yeah that's good. So let me ask you this question. My question to you is like, so you, I mean, you've pastored through some difficult seasons. Um, you pastored single. That's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> you, you pastored just married. That's, that's a, a transition. You pastored through the death of, of your father. That's, yeah. that's, that's difficult. Um, and then you, you pastored through your son uh, having a, a breakdown in the leg. Um, broke his leg, right? Yes. Um, and so you, you know, you've you've weathered some storms in terms of you pastored through, if I remember correctly, building like a new addition. Yep. And now you're pastoring through a season of you know you building a house and then you know doing something that I think is very honorable um, in terms of caring for your in-laws and having them with you, which I think is biblical and and beautiful. Um, and so that so so I mean you've pastored through some 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 challenges some situation so what did, what did you learn kind of as you passed through you know just difficult times tumultuous waters like what what have you learned when i began pastoring the founding pastor of our church a guy named ron smallman had he identified something in me that has helped serve me through everything and he said you're a worshiper and continue to be a worshiper. And I think that that, as you walk through it, I think about with my dad in particular, um, there's, when he passed away, the quick story, he had gotten, he went into the hospital on a Sunday. We didn't really know anything. He had a multiple myeloma diagnosis in September. And, but they said, you're asymptomatic, come back in December. This is Sunday, and he's going into the, he's, he's in the hospital on a Sunday before Thanksgiving. He passes away Thanksgiving Day that Thursday. Jesus. And, but the grace of God was through all of this. We had people who were 
my siblings were all home that summer. They had been overseas. My sister had been overseas. My brother had been overseas. My other brother had come up the two weeks before that from North Carolina. Everyone was able to be there at his bedside. There was just a very real awareness of God's presence through it. So we had gone through the week. We had a service. After that, I had sat down and we were watching a movie just to kind of take your mind off of all of this, all that you've been going through. And at the end of the movie, the credits come up and it all hits me. It's like this whole situation feels like I've been in a movie and I feel like I'm going to it, you know, the credits are going to go over and things go back to normal and you're realizing that's not what's going on in that place. And I mean, I just begin to sob in that, in yeah. that time. And I think it was something that, that I had heard Bill Johnson say that in those moments, you never get that moment back to worship God. Yeah. Mm. And so just, I was, I was on my bed that night and I just, you know, it was the most, uh, you, you can't really even audibleize things, but you just, I just began to, to worship the Lord in that place. Mm. And I found that it was an incredible, the work that God did in me from that the sting of death mm-hmm. he he took the sting of death out in that time and it wasn't that there haven't been moments where you know i've missed my dad um he was an elder in the church and yep. in that year leading up he really like he was really getting things he was really understanding kind of where what god was speaking to me he was a real champion for me um, all of all of that stuff is there, but the sting of it isn't there. And so, if I look at my if I look at my life, and I look at what God has done through these times, and I I look at it, and I say, okay, when is it going well? It's when when I'm when I'm worshiping the Lord, and where do I get off track when I get my eyes off Jesus and I start thinking it's about you know, my own strength or my own efforts or my own strategy. And when I come back to worshiping him, seeking his kingdom, you know, all these things will be added unto you. I've, I've found that to be true. Just to help listeners who are going through it right now, who have difficulty stepping into worship in those seasons, can you describe like what, what, what did that look like for you? Like worshiping in that moment in that season that you're describing, mm. Anything practical you could help them kind of grasp that? Well, I think very simply is putting praise on your lips. So it it has an actual action in it. For me in that in that intense moment of it was, you know, I'm crying, but I'm saying, I worship you, Lord. I praise you you're good. And I, I, there was a song that had, had come up in my heart and I'm, you know, I'm a hot mess of, of sobbing in those ways. And I, um, you know, 
the, the scripture says, sing, O barren one, and rejoice in the Lord always. So I don't, I'm, I'm putting my confidence in him and my obedience in him in that way. And it's, there's a great exchange that happens in that place, just like what Jesus does. He takes our, our, our wickedness on him and he gives us life in that way. And God continues to offer us that great exchange when we come before him. That's, that's been my experience in those ways of just, you know, to worship. It's a gift to worship God. Mm -hmm. When we're standing before him, we don't need any faith to worship him because we'll see him for who he, who he (laughs) wholly is, you know? So, so now he gives us opportunities in our life. And sometimes those opportunities come through great pain and great loss. But when you go through that and when you experience his tender mercy, when you experience his loving kindness, when you get to the other side of it Mm -hmm. and you look back you're like, that was the most no brain decision anyone could make because he's the great exchanger in those ways. So I would just encourage people in that place of as you're feeling the, you know, the despair, it's it's good to mourn. It's important for people to mourn. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. You, there's a certain comfort that you can't receive unless you, you mourn. actually mourn, yeah. you know. So people have to you have to acknowledge that. And uh I think that still is unfolding actually in me mm-hmm. of where our our dynamic and our history and the expression of faith that we've had in our life was a very positive focused thing. Mm-hmm. And so we were talking about this this summer with my family and one of my older brothers was saying, you know, I still have the pain of my father's passing because he had certain expectations for the relationship my dad would have with his own kids. He hadn't been able to be that connected to him because he was caring for his own parents. And it was helpful for me to acknowledge that that's okay. And so as I've walked through it, I would say the overarching thing for me has not been a real heaviness in it, but I've become more open to um, even just the experience of the sadness of loss and situations like as we're we're building a house now and I'm thinking you know my dad would have he would have loved, loved to, yeah. to, you know just to be a part of this he would have been a great help he would have been a great support and so I I can honestly feel the sadness for that and at the same time just say but God, I think I'm thankful that you're here with me mm-hmm. and you're guiding me. And I'm thankful for the things that have been imparted into my life through him in that way. And I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive no. in that way. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful because that's a sacrifice of praise. You know, yeah. something that doesn't cost you anything is cheap. Mm-hmm. But if it costs you something, you know, what I learned in that season too. Uh, through the death of my mom and through just her basically like rotting to death in front of me and we still couldn't believe it you know is that and that's very different than losing someone more suddenly so so there's a there's a there's a 
there's a difference in 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 the situation lost nevertheless but you experience it differently yeah. and I, it was like happening right in front of me we couldn't see it but what i learned in that season is that god is faithful even when i don't get what my faith is hoping for mm. so there were some things that i learned in that season that unfortunately i just i just um i couldn't have learned any other way and i would have never signed up to learn that and i'm not saying that god did that but god showed me this and through that right and and so so um that was that was challenging and so just and also too like you know when you're pastoring and you're leading people and you're caring for people people see that you you show up when when you hurt like i told my brother i called my, my when my when my mom died i said you need to come to our church and lead worship tomorrow I said, if you can't minister while you're hurting, you can't minister to hurting people. Mm-hmm. You got to show up, and um, you know that really blessed my dad because my dad was like, "Man, like, what? You know, that was that was something special. Um, it was special to me too, but I could really sense how much that meant to my dad. And um, yeah, so we we have to learn how to you know mourn and how to grieve and how to do that well." And uh, we read a book that was really helpful, uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Mm. And that was a book that kind of basically laid out that basically one third of the Psalms are actually lament. And so if you remove lament from our worship, it's fake. Yeah. Um, and so uh, you know, that's a very brief, uh, but, but that's important too. Like the l- lament is a huge part of authentic and real worship. And so, yeah, so that was something that we learned um, during that season. Um, so, you know, right now you're building a house and, and so there's, there's so many, like you just pastored and, and cared for your son through a broken leg and, and, you know, there's so many things that we learn in different seasons that are just tremendous gems in our life that, that really bring truth alive in our own experience and bring truth to the forefront of our, our own thoughts and mind and, and reactions and reflexes. So like, what, what is something um, that you've experienced as it relates to building that God is like showing you or speaking to you? Well, the verse that has been very forefront in my mind in this is it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit says the Lord. And there are a lot of applications of that verse to me for this passage. It's actually, it's a verse about building because he's speaking to Zerubbabel about a building project that he has to go into. And when I started this process, I thought the only way we would be able to afford it would would to be an owner builder where I would kind of manage the project myself. And uh, I realized that I did not have the capacity for that. So it's not by might. That's like, a, you know, your your power, your strength there. Um, it's not by power. That's about your resources. And this has required more than more than we had and more than we had available. And so God brought some funds in for things to be able to to happen. But it's by my spirit. And so. I'm really in the the grind of it right now where 
I've been painting, so I'm uh, doing all the interior work for that. We're saving like fifteen thousand dollars by by doing that work. And there's a lot of there's a lot of this stuff to in order to make it happen. And just this week, we uh, guy was preaching at our church who has a ministry where they go out and share the gospel with people all the time. And one of the things he said is he learned from observing someone else. I said, how does this guy do it all? And at the end of the day, he still seems like he has energy. And he said, I realized that he's not doing it in his own strength. And so what I've found in the last few weeks in particular, as I've, as I've recognized that is, where is my focus? When I am adding up the number of hours that I'm spending uh, doing this thing, it becomes weary. But if I acknowledge this, the grace of God that is available to us, the presence of his spirit, I find his lifting of the load. And that has been very, very meaningful um, to me in that way of where you're, where you're walking through things. And I think there's a lot to be said for what am I focusing on? Am I focusing on my own effort? And if I'm just focusing on my own effort, then I will become overwhelmed in this way. And I still have those things. Just this afternoon, I was doing something and it didn't, I didn't get done what I wanted to. And I was a little bit annoyed and I was kind of, you called, I was talking to you on the phone and I was a little short with you. <laughs> and you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, not saying I'm there, I'm hitting a bat in a thousand on I'm, it, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty offended. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's awesome. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really a grace thing. Yeah. And also yeah. too, like when he's, when, when the scripture says my grace is sufficient and, and you know, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's also in the context of Paul not getting his prayers answered the way he wanted them to be answered. Right. Um, but the grace being enough. And so we are not self-sufficient. And the quicker we understand that, mm. the quicker we can serve the Lord wholeheartedly and he shows up for us. Because I, I realized that, man, to be honest, I know this sounds, this sounds crazy, but it is actually in God's best interest to bless my life. Yeah. You know, and, and the reason, why do I say that? I say that because if you have people that work for you and they love you and they're always about your best interests, they don't steal from you. They don't hurt your children. They don't abuse your house. They care about you. And so when God's kids are well cared for, it's a testimony to the world. Like the world doesn't get, oh, I was crying, I felt great at church. The world's like, dang, he just pulled up in a new car. Bam, he just, man, they just built a house. Everyone is sweating and he's building. <laughs> man, you know, these, everyone else is standing still. These guys are globetrotting. They, people are like, what, what, what's the deal there? And they see the favor and the blessing of the Lord. Like if you have some evil guy, a demonic guy, you know, he has a million dollar watch on. God gets no glory out of an evil person prospering. Mm -hmm. But if God prospers the righteous and the righteous gets the microphone, you know, you know who they give the microphone to? Who wins? Yeah. The yeah. winner gets the microphone. And so now 
when when God when the blessing of the Lord is on your life and you're and you're clear like this is God this isn't me mm. that God gets glory out of that like you know and and that also is really important in establishing faith in the next generation like look what God did for my father mm-hmm. yeah you know like my children like Justice he's been on I think like ten or like no no like eleven or twelve international trips bro I wasn't I was like twenty eight years old before that was even in my reality and. You know, it's like they're they're living in favor and they don't even realize it, but it's a part of their story. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like our children need to see the favor and the blessing of the Lord on our life or else it's very easy for them to resent us serving the Lord, feeling like the Lord took my daddy away from me. Now, nah, the Lord blessed my life through my daddy's yes. Yeah, And that's not to say we won't be persecuted or there won't be difficulty, but even how we experience that is different when we're walking in the blessing and in the favor of the Lord. And a, a lot of that is related to the agreement that you have with your spouse. Because when I'm doing this work right now, Shelly's, she, you know, sometimes I think I, I've got like a long day four kids at home all day, that's, that's the real heaviness there. So when you're, when you're walking that thing out and your kids see you do it, the agreement that you have with your spouse is what's going to help them see that. Because if you're in it together, then they understand, we, we each understand what our contribution is yep. towards the objective that you're trying to accomplish. Beautiful. And if you're not in agreement, then there becomes resentment and then your kids will develop that viewpoint mm. of, of you. But if they can understand where, where we're working, we're pulling in this thing together, it's going to help shape their perspective. That's excellent. Like being together in all things uh, is huge with your wife. It's huge. There's no way that we would be able to do what we're able to do outside of God's grace and 112% of my wife participating. And now I've been having a unique experience to contribute as well <laughs> at a much greater level. And so I, I get what you're saying with the kids. This is a super practical thing as well. Like the scripture says, and, and I learned this trying to fix a plumbing problem. Don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is the trouble within or whatever translation you you read that through. Okay, so basically, every day has a trouble, has a problem, but the grace of God is with you for that. And so if you're trying to forecast the next, the the future problem, you have your eyes in the wrong place, Mm -hmm. but you can trust God's faithfulness that the thing that he puts before you today, that that your best effort through his grace with that situation will produce and develop the thing in you that will prepare you for whatever thing is to come. Mm. And when you do that right and you live with that, you can sleep well at night. You know, it's, it's a really good way to live. Excellent. And you wake up in the morning feeling without lack that yeah. you have. Yeah. Refreshed instead mm-hmm. of worn out. Yeah. Because yeah. worry really wears people out. Yeah. Let's just segue into that. Can you can you just pray for those who are listening that God would lift that yeah. from them? Yeah. 
Because I think that that's a major thing in our generation. Yeah. Father, you invite us to come before your throne of grace in our time of need that we might receive mercy and grace from you. So, Father, we come before you right now, Lord, with, with a holy boldness. And we ask, Lord, I ask for the lifting of weariness and worry and anxiety in the name of Jesus. And I ask, Lord, that you would pour out of the abundance of mercy and grace upon those listening, Lord God, that they would know that whatever is before them this day, that your grace is enabling them to walk with you through it, in it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us, Pastor Woodley. We love you. Love you. Adam Levecki here. On behalf of DK Kim and I, we want to thank you for listening to the Be Transformed podcast. If you found this helpful, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. Thanks again for listening to Be Transformed.